Hear from the word of the Lord from Philippians chapter 2, 12 and 13, and Romans chapter 8, 26 and 27. Therefore, my beloved, just as you've always obeyed me, not only in my presence, but much more now in my absence, work, out, work on your own salvation with fear and trembling. For it is God who is at work in you, enabling you both to will and to work for God's good pleasure. Likewise, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. For we do not know how to pray as we ought, but that the very Spirit intercedes with groanings too deep for words. And God, who searches hearts, knows what is the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for the saints according to the will of God. The word of the Lord. Please be seated. We're in this series on prayer that we've, we've titled Loud because I think most of the time in our lives, the problem is not that we don't know how to pray or we don't desire to pray or we're not willing to pray. The problem is we've got so many other things to do that just prayer gets kind of pushed out of our lives. And it's not like all the things we have to do are necessarily bad or unfortunate or sinful. Some of the stuff that we're doing is good stuff and it takes hard work. We've been called to do these things and yet somehow, if we're not careful, prayer gets kind of pushed over to the sidelines. And so what we're doing for the next few weeks is we're kind of examining how, how do we find that rhythm of prayer in our lives? And one way you can do that is to engage um, this prayer guide that we've been offering. It's on Instagram. It's on our website. You can find it in the email on uh, Monday mornings. Over half of the emails that we're sending out on Monday mornings are being opened and the link is being followed. So we know that a lot of you are engaging in this daily prayer habit. And we're grateful for that. Um, there's there's, a, there's a, a process. There's, a, there's an unfolding when you spend time with God. And sometimes what you find yourself doing with God is just chit-chat because you don't have much else to say. That's okay. Sometimes you're able to share story and deep longing, go a little bit deeper, and that's good. Sometimes you don't even have to use words because the prayer of your heart, the deep longings, the desire to be known and to know the God of the universe carries your time. So we're going to think about two ditches on the road of prayer today. But before we do that, please join me. I pray that out of your glorious riches, that God, you might strengthen us with power through your spirit and our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. And I pray that this people, being rooted and established in love, may have power, together with all the Lord's holy people, to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ, and to know that this love surpasses knowledge, that we may be filled to the measure of all the fullness of God. And to that end, Father, I pray that you pour through me the gift of preaching, that I might speak your truth in love to these your people. Now to the one who is able to do immeasurably more than all we ask or imagine according to thy power that is work within us, be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. It is the church who says, amen. 
All right, so kind of last week what we talked about is we, we looked at the words of Jesus and we, we found ourselves in the Sermon on the Mount. And, and Jesus, before he tells his disciples how to pray, he tells them how not to pray. He says, don't pray like the Pharisees because they just want to be seen. They long to be heard. And I tell you the truth, they get what they want. He said, also don't pray like the pagans that babble with words. They're trying to find the way to get the God's attention as if you have to argue and, and say the right things to get God to pay attention to you. Because God is a father that loves you and is ready to give you good things. I want us to think of maybe two other ditches in the road of prayer. One is that either God doesn't do anything or can't do anything. And so prayer is useless. And what I mean by that is simply this. God is sovereign. God has an immutable plan. God is immutable in himself. God from the beginning of creation knew how the universe was going to play out. God is omniscient. God knows what you're going to have for lunch today and lunch on the day you die. God knows everything about every atom in your body. And so how would it even be possible, or what would even be the purpose of prayer? And sometimes it feels like this is true, because we ask God for things, and it doesn't seem like God got answers. And we feel disappointed. I mean, if God is all-powerful, and I know the good thing to do in this world, why doesn't God act? Either God categorically cannot or God categorically will not. And therefore, there's no purpose in prayer. On the other side of this, the other ditch on the other side of the road is that prayer is just magic. You ask in the right way, you say the right thing, you do the right incantation. Last week we talked if you stand on one foot, you hold the other hand in the air. Maybe that's how God answers your prayer. And we are very astute uh, observers of how God works in this world. And so we just kind of figure it out. And, and if we just pray the right way, then we get what we want. I think in the middle of that, those two ditches, the road of prayer, is the invitation to mystery. Sometimes... We approach prayer like it's an instruction manual. Or we got tech specs, right? We know how fast prayer will move. We know how far it will go. We know exactly what to expect out of it. And so we don't ask for things that are outside of that realm. Sometimes we treat it like an Ikea uh, assembly manual. But maybe instead we should think about poetry. Uh, excuse me, we should approach prayer is poetry. Richard Rohr says it this way. Prayer is not primarily saying words or thinking thoughts. It is rather a life stance. It's a way living in the presence. And when I say presence, I want you to think of a capital P. Even enjoying the presence. Awakening the self uh, to prayer is us becoming more aware of the divine presence, the trust, freedom, to delight in it. The secret of prayer, this is what I want you to hear, this is how we live into the mystery. And most of us, we don't have that kind of like 
mysterious impulse in our body. That reflex is not something that we've learned in modernity in the West. Mystery is something that's strange to us, and so it's foreign. I'd rather have the instruction manual because then I know what to expect. But when we live in prayer, we live in the now. We don't live in the past. We don't live in the future. It's not so much that we need to confess everything that we've done wrong and to bear ourselves in shame to God or to seek all the things that God may or may not do in the future, but rather in prayer, experience the now. To be truly in this moment before the moments end. Not the moments past, not the moments future, but now. And I think most of us, if we're honest with ourselves, think that now is kind of a barren wasteland. It's something that we have to rush through to be hurried, or it's something that we have to conquer. If we don't conquer the now, then we've missed it. Either God is fully present in the now, or God is not present at all. The now, this moment, has beauty and color, and taste. It's this, it's this special time that only exists for just this moment, and then it's gone. And there'll be other moments, there'll be other tastes and experiences and colors, but, but this one is unique just from now. It is a gift from God. And I think sometimes what we do is we judge the now of our prayer against other moments. And this is normal because we've kind of developed this life where we just need to know how well we're doing. Were we more efficient this week than we were last week? Were we faster and more accurate in doing our homework? Um, Am I faster on this mile than I was three weeks ago? We, We need to kind of find a way to put metrics to all these things. Don't judge the now when we're in prayer. Because God isn't judging the moment. God doesn't rate your prayers. He doesn't say, two and a half stars. Maybe if you used a little bigger words next time. That's not who God is. You are attending to God. And God's presence is unjudged, unjudging, and unrushed. God's not in a hurry. God delights in the time that you get to share. And so maybe prayer should be experiencing the all-embracing receiver who sees you completely. I think this is the best way to understand Jesus in prayer. In the Gospels, there's this rhythm that happens over and over and over that Jesus ministers to the crowd and then goes to a quiet place to be with God. Ministers to the crowd goes to the quiet place. And this is Jesus' rhythm. Jesus is waiting in love. And it is the quiet times where Jesus experiences the full presence of God, living in that stream, that gave Jesus the self-awareness and connection to do the ministry that he was called to do. The same is true for you. Even Scripture is a conversation about prayer. James talks to Matthew, and the Psalms speak to Habakkuk, which takes us to our text today. Paul says to the Philippian church, work out your salvation, work on your salvation with fear and trembling. 
which might be one description of what you think prayer ought to look like. And I think it's probably true. I think that's exactly what Paul means. I just don't think we understand what fear and trembling actually is. In the first century, in a Jewish tradition, fear and trembling is the posture of a disciple. If there's any fear, it is holy fear of being in the presence of power. In the presence, again, capital P, of one that is completely other. It is the presence of God that evokes trembling, not because we're afraid, but because we're in awe. The fear we experience is not because we're terrified of God, but because we experience God's transcendence, and it's the only emotion that can fill that slot. And so, we try to live in the mystery, but that's difficult because I like Ikea manuals way more than I like poetry. But Paul tells us in Romans that the Spirit intercedes and it changes our groaning. And I think this is the place where most of us can begin to encounter what this mystery looks like and how it feels like. Because we've had those moments in our lives where we have no words for God. Where the feelings that we have are so intense and so powerful or maybe even mysterious that we don't know what to do with them. And all we can do is allow ourselves to be present with God, with the mess of our lives. And God takes that and does something with it. And Paul says what's happening in that moment is the Spirit is translating for you. In the groans that are too deep for words, that is the Spirit speaking on your behalf to the Father that loves you. Attending the presence of God takes patient will. It takes Jesus finding the quiet place and remaining there until God discovers. But you cannot encounter the living God and remain unchanged. Isaac calls God the fear for most of his life. Jacob walks with a limp after his encounter. Paul is blinded and restored. Hagar is seen and saved. The woman at the well goes and sins no more. Peter betrays and then is redeemed, and he dies on an inverted cross. Gideon goes from wimp to warrior, and Mary's soul is pierced. The rich young ruler walks away sad. You cannot encounter the living God and remain unchanged. And so I want us to think for a minute, if prayer is a little more like poetry, if the relationship has to go somewhere beyond chit-chat, what should it look like? If you're going to go slay your first dragon, you need to have a guide. And my guide that I found in this experience is, is my favorite preacher of all time. Her name's Barbara Brown Taylor. And she talks about prayer like approaching the mountain. And she says you have to come to the place where you can't see God anymore. And I want to explain what she means by that. I think she says imagine what God looks like when you pray. And I think that most of us, this is how we begin as novice prayers, that we imagine God perhaps as like the confessor that's listening to our sins, sitting there with his hand on his chin, nodding and, and attentively thoughtful to what we say. Or maybe that, you know, God is that, that loved grandparent, that loved father, the slightly more patient father than we experienced in our lives. And that's what we see when we see God when we pray. But Barbara Brown Taylor says, the longer I have known you, with the capital Y, the less I see you. 
But then she would tell the novice, that's not as bad as it sounds. She says, God is like the mountain. And maybe you know what this mountain is. It's, it's the mountain that you, you understand because you've seen it from a lot of different angles. Maybe it's not a mountain at all, but it's land that you understand. When I, uh, when I was a college student, I would drive from here to Denver, and, and on the way, there's this giant volcano in the middle of flat New Mexico. It's this beautiful mountain, and you can see it all the way, 40, 50 miles away as you drive closer, and then 40, 50 miles as you've passed it. It just stands in the middle of this plain, and that's what the mountain is like. And you can drive past it over and over and kind of see what it looks like and understand what it is, but it's different when you choose to take to climb up the mountain. When you drive up the mountain and you learn those roads and then you walk up the mountain and you learn those trails and then you, you find the, the, the deer trails to follow up the mountain and eventually you're making your own paths up and down and around through the crags and the nooks and all the places on that mountain. When you are on the mountain and you climb over and over and over, you can't see it anymore. But it sustains you. The mountain, the place, the land, it gives you life. And, and, and Barbara Brown Teller would say, I, I know in my mind that prayer should have equal balance of thank yous and pleases, and it should have the right Christology and an ample concern for others. But when she says, I have found myself on the mountain where I can no longer see God, it doesn't matter if I begin with a thank you or a dear God, but it pleases God because God knows I am paying attention. And what comes next is silence. Where ragged breath becomes steady, then still. Until I am all ears for you. Here in the mountain of your presence where I can't see you anymore. O thou who art, breathe on me, and I shall be saved. Do you have a place like that? Land, a mountain? Do you have a person like that? Knows you inside and out, and you know every nook and crevice. Do you have something like that in your life? Because that's the beginning of the road to mystery. It's the place that we start in prayer. It's what Wendell Billy, excuse me, Wendell Berry called home. Welcome home. Heavenly Father, I pray that you lead us deeper into yourself. Use the road of prayer to shape and change this church into power, in powerful ways. Lead us to unknown places. Let us be still and quiet in your presence and know that we are loved. It is through Christ we pray and the church pray, says, amen.